What's up everybody? This week, Sarah and I take a look at the movie that turned Jim Carrey from zany comic foil to legitimate actor, the Andy Kaufman biopic, Man on the Moon. That and a whole lot more is to come, because maybe Andy indeed is still goofing on Elvis. Welcome to the show. I don't even know what to say about that one, because Andy is still goofing on Elvis. <laughs> of course, that also means that you have to accept that Andy Kaufman is still alive and working in a Burger King in the Bahamas. Oh, with Elvis as his manager. Either as his manager, or like, you know, he's the he's the regional sales guy, mm, regional franchise yeah. Yoda who shows up every now and then, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with a sleazy jacket to make me breakfast. No. Hell yeah. Bedazzled as <laughs> shit and back. Oh, yeah. Let's hi, do it. Yes. Uh, hi, everybody. What's going on? We're like 30 seconds in and you're already having to bleep me. It's one of those days. It's okay. They have to bleep R2-D2 with every line he said in the bloody movies. That's so, okay. You know, uh, hope everyone's right. doing well this week. Uh, I'm John, John by Sarah once again, and we are going to be talking about one of the most underrated movies of the 90s, and we will be talking about that here in just a minute. But guys, before we get started, guys and girls, I should say, before we get started, check us out on our social media, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Just look up Because Maybe Network. Mm-hmm. Look up our YouTube channel, bit.ly slash bmnetwork-youtube. That's where we mm-hmm. have all of our video game walkthroughs, streams, and so on and so forth. And of course, while you might be listening to this on a podcast stream, we might not be your favorite. So go find us at your favorite. Either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, or tune in. Look up because maybe... Not even because maybe podcast. Look up the 90s podcast. That's where you'll find us. Mm-hmm. But we're not on Google because Google still sucks. So... Thanks, we still suck. <laughs> this started off as one line in the first episode, and like I've used that on everything I've recorded so far. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Google is a great platform for YouTube. Google is a great platform for search engine. It's yes. Just a podcast pr- platform leads a lot to be desired. And that's all I want to say about that. So, uh, <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks since we spoke to you. Do you want to write this week, Sarah? I'm okay. Uh, you guys have to bear with me. I am fighting off a little bit of a cold this morning. So if I seem a little, you know, out of it, tr- it's, it's not because I want to be. Trust me. Uh, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. You have man flu. Which is weird yes. because you have no man. I have chesticles, not testicles. I have chesticles, not testicles. That's right. <laughs> oh my word! So I want to briefly t- speak about something before we jump in, right? And Did it. Um, this kind of ties into what we're going to be doing in the next couple of months, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be doing something called the Soul Section, which is a TNG podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, as of we've been recording, as of we've been, as we have been recording, the first couple of episodes of Picard have been uh, released. Yes. And it makes me cuss the fact that I don't watch that much television, apparently. Right. Um, it's We haven't dove into it yet. Um, Partly because we don't want to watch it like a bunch of animals. Well, and also <laughs> because we already have like 7,000 streaming services and you have to add CBS to get Picard and we haven't done that yet. Well, you know, what... what do we need to get rid of? Because we have like eight, eight of them. We don't need to get rid of Netflix. No. Do we use Hulu? Yes. Do we use Hulu? Not do our children use Hulu? They ain't paying rent. They 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 get what we get. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> but no, apparently it's it's a it's a damn good series. And even at eighty plus years old, Patrick Stewart is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, he's uh, you know 
Patrick Stewart is amazing. He is amazing. He is he is awesome, awesome. So we're going to end up getting sucked into Picard. Oh yeah, definitely. And we'll probably do a podcast episode mm-hmm. on that. Not necessarily a whole podcast series. Then again, if it's as good as TNG, maybe you know, possibly maybe thirty years down the line, you'll be listening to uh, Oof. our son-in-law and our daughter, our daughter-in-law and Oof. our son. You know, just going ahead talking about it. But that's for then. This is for now. <laughs> so, guys, again, we are on social media. Check out Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for the Because Maybe Network. Look mm-hmm. at B- look at bit.ly slash bm oh wait slash bm network dash YouTube. I was trying to do it with my eyes closed, couldn't do it this time. And of course, we're on all great podcast services: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Tune In. Yes. And I didn't even make the comment that Google sucks this time. Isn't that fantastic? So uh, <laughs> uh, so we're going to go ahead and get in, and we're going to be talking about one of the most underrated movies of the 90s, and there's a little thing that I want to be talking about during that, because when I made the notes, I found this hard to believe. Review Corner. The Big Screen. All right, guys. So, this week, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm taking it slow is because well, you, you'll see why here in a minute. It is the 1999 biopic of the great Andy Kaufman, Man on the Moon, as you can hear, as you can hear in the background, a little background music. <laughs> um, this movie right here is, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. And it stars the, the, the twin patron saints of the podcast. Oh, we have two now. Mr. James, uh, Mr. James J. Carey uh-huh. and Mr. Courtney L. Love. Oh, Mrs. Courtney L. Love, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, and I'm the, the one that's first sick. thing in the morning, everybody. <laughs> um, but strangely enough, considering the 90s, right, and everything we've spoken about up to this point that has mm-hmm. involved Madam Saint, Miss Love, mm-hmm. we're not going to be talking about her that much. Not really, no. This is very, very, I don't want to say divide of any courtliness, but... It's very gem centric, and not only not only that, it's very Andy centric. Yeah, it's very Andy centric, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But like during this, Courtney was on her best behavior. Yes, she was like on her absolute best behavior. She was like you can tell even in the movie she was clean. She was right. She was very very energetic and everything, and she looked like she was healthy for the first time in a long time. And it had been a long four or five years. We know all the ins and outs and everything like that. But well, it's also part of you know she's teamed up with Milos Forman again. Yep. Um, who she was with. Oh, for uh, People versus Larry Flint. Yes, they both did that movie. Yes. And um, again, it was one of those things where her reputation preceded her. She had to have, uh, in order to be able to be insured on the set, she had to subject herself to, you know, more scrutiny and drug tests than your average actor or actress. And so she, you know, her eyes were dotted. Her, pe- you know, her, her the T's were crossed. Her P's were crossed, yes. But I mean, and, and even like, but I've said this before. In the people versus the character that she was playing, she looked, she looked good, and I don't mean like oh she looked good. I mean you know she yeah. looked she looked yeah. healthy. She looked, yeah. and and in this movie she looked even healthier. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you got to take the characters into that, but you can tell somebody behind their eyes even in the movies. You know? Right. But um, this movie right here was, as we mentioned, it was a, it's a biopic comedy drama, mm-hmm. which is a very very weird centric thing. Not when you consider who the person is, but very few comedy, com- very few biopics, uh, comedy films. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by Milos Forman, obviously, and it was produced by Michael Schamberg, Stacey Shear, and the great Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito, who also starred in the movie. Yes. Uh, it was produced, I did not realize this, it was produced by the BBC. Right. I didn't know they were, they were doing full-on feature movies back in the late 90s. I didn't well, even think they're doing it now. 
Well, it must have been the draw of of a of the cast uh, and the subject a, matter. It must be the draw of a Lithuanian comedy actor that didn't really <laughs> resonate in the UK that much. Uh, <laughs> distributed by Universal, and it was it just makes our nineties deadline. Released December twenty right. second, nineteen ninety nine, and made a box office total of forty seven point four million pounds, or four million dollars. That sounds great, but it lost between five and thirty five million dollars. How so? Because nobody went to it. Well, <laughs> maybe that, maybe an initial domestic or whatever, yeah. or what, but I mean, it's. I think bec- at this point, it's been. Well, it, they've it, made their money on it now. Yeah, they've made their money on it now. But I think part of that was because at the at the end of the nineties, people were getting a little sick of Jim Carrey. Yeah. Because I mean, he just done Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, and, and it was to- hard to take him as. It was this before or after um, Eternal Sunshine? Oh, this is way before Eternal Sunshine. This is after the Truman Show, though. But the thing is, he did Mask, Ace Frontier, Dumb and Dumber, back to back to back to back. Then he did The Cable Guy, yeah. which kind of, ugh, everybody on him. He got everyone back with The Truman Show. And then he went back and did Liar Liar, which is a great, which is a really, really fun movie. Right. But, like, nobody took him seriously as anything more than the rubber face comic. Who right. Could make, you know, pull faces. And I think combining that with Courtney Love, who had her reputation. Right. People didn't want to do it well that and andy's a niche subject yeah i mean really yeah i mean you have to take that and could i think that had anybody else played andy it would have gotten less i think that that jim and by extension courtney actually drew more people initially than they would have gotten otherwise simply because andy is a niche subject i mean yes and those two do there's right and yes there are you know he was in taxi and there's taxi fans and snl and yes but that's i don't think it would have been enough because andy andy was an acquired taste and, to, and with all due respect to Taxi, I don't know how big it was in, in the United States. Oh, it was, it, it, was, it was very big here. But, it, but if that loss is worldwide, people say, yeah, he was in Taxi. Right. What's Taxi? Right. You know, I mean, we didn't, know, we didn't know who Tony Danza was, for crying out loud. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but no, it's, it's, you're right. I mean, you know, it is a very, very niche thing. I mean, just look at the, look at the main cast at this point, right? At late 99. With all due respect, Danny DeVito. You forgot Dan, uh... Wait, where is the cast here? There's a big, there's a big black bow that says cast, and underneath it says main cast. There we go. Okay, yeah. never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Ignore me, guys. Uh, not sorry. In second. fact, I'll read it. Shall I? You can read it. Then <clears throat> I'll make my point. Okay. So, playing the title or character, Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton. Her. Uh huh. You have Jim Carrey. If he gets stuck in Tony Clifton mode for the rest of the day, I am blaming you guys. That's my first Tony Clifton impression about ten years. I know, but the last time you got stuck in it for like three weeks, and uh, nobody. It made made our three-year-old laugh. Yes, but they're not three anymore. Please don't do that. I won't. Okay. Uh huh. Sure. Okay. And then Danny DeVito, who plays George Shapiro, Uh, Paul Giamatti who plays Tony Clifton and Bob Zamuda. Courtney Love, of course, plays Andy's longtime girlfriend, Lynn Margulies. Now, looking at these three, right? These are the main four people in the movie, mm-hmm. right? The main four characters, the main four actors. Jim Carrey and Courtney Love, we've already spoken about. Mm-hmm. Everybody was tired of Carrey as a leading man. Everybody was, like, wary of Courtney Love because of reputation. Right. Danny DeVito, as great as he is, he was always the sidekick. Right. And up to the mid-90s, he'd done 
doing that well, but I think everybody, not kind of forgotten about him, but really didn't care about him that much at the time. This is before Sonny. And yeah, I'm no, I, I'm about him still in a movie sense. I'm still giving you the stink eye. You can give me the stink eye all you want to. Because there's I, still Matilda. There's still right? Batman. Okay. Mid 90s. Batman and Matilda were pre 96. This is 99. So in those three years, he's cooled off. Uh, whatever. Okay, look, I'm I'm sorry. You can say what you want, but <laughs> ju- but Junior, I think it was. With Arnold Schwarzenegger's okay, okay, yeah. That kind of soured a lot of people too. And Paul Giamatti was just up and coming at this point. Oh, I love Paul Giamatti. I love Paul Giamatti. And look, look, I love all these four, four as actors, but at the time, probably explaining why the loss, it was either mm. tired or lack of interest in the main mm. people who put your ass in the seat. Okay. You know. Well, keep going. But, I mean, look, I love Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito was great. Danny DeVito is great. Mm-hmm. Especially when he reinvented himself with this Always Sunny, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the supporting cast, I mean, again, we have Gary Becker, who plays his dad. Leslie Lars, who plays Andy's mom. You had Jim Ross, professional wrestling commentator, playing Lance Russell. And see, then I'd forgotten. Yep. Lance Russell, for those of you who don't know, was the long-time voice of memphis wrestling mm-hmm. uh you had michael richards playing norm mcdonald well before he decided to go into a racial slur territory mm-hmm. and you had jerry the king lola playing jerry the king lola yep. because for those who don't know a big chunk of this movie is dedicated to andy kaufman's wrestling feud yes. with jerry lola yes um and then of course you had the cameos from the likes of the cast of Taxi. So you had... You have to tell me these names. Because aside from Christopher Lloyd, Carol Kane, and Jeff Conway, right. I can't pronounce them. Mary Lou Henner, Judd <laughs> Hirsch, Christopher Lloyd, Carol Kane, and Jeff Conway. You had uh, David Letterman. Yes. Uh, which is the only character... Which is the only guy who didn't, like, alter his appearance for the movie. Right. So Letterman, the Letterman of 86 was played by the Letterman of 99. Right. <laughs> you had um, Richard Belzer. Bob Zamuda. Yep. Who as we know, is uh, Kaufman's long-term mm-hmm. agent and uh, biographer. George mm-hmm. Shapiro, who mm-hmm. is his long-term manager. And Lorne Michaels, the brainchild of anything comedic you saw on NBC, I think, ever. For, for, for a long time, at least. Isn't anyway. he the CEO? I think or not the CEO. The, but the, the, he's the head of comedy. Yeah, or programming. The head of programming, something like that. Yes. The, last time, the last time I saw him, he was getting crushed by a piano in Two and a Half Men or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to be a smart ass, you know. Yeah. But, um, no, okay, so so what is, I mean, first, let's take a look at the cast for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey became the embodiment of Andy Kaufman, which we will definitely get to here in just a few yes, minutes. Yes, he's a big method actor. But um, everybody else, I think, fit their part very, very well. Yes. Um, even the people, you know, even the people who was, even the people who were well-known who was supposed to be someone else. I mean, okay. Jim Ross, for example, played a big, big role playing a mm-hmm. wrestling announcer from Memphis. But mm-hmm. everybody knew Jim Ross at the time as the announcer for the biggest wrestling right. TV show in America at that time. Right. And you bought, but you bought him as playing someone else. Right. And I think that was one of the strengths of this movie is every single person you bought as the character, they bought Correct. into the character and then you bought into the character. Right. I mean, it was, it was cast beautifully. The only casting that didn't happen was Danny DeVito didn't reprise his role in Taxi. Because well, no, because he was already he playing. He was producing it and playing under the planet right. there. So it's like, okay, I'm not going in there. I can't do that. So let's very, very quickly go through the plot of the movie, and then we'll talk about why this is so interesting, okay? Okay. So uh, Andy Kaufman mm-hmm. is a struggling comic in New York mm-hmm. whose comedy style is basically fooling his audience. And he has a character called the Foreign Man, 
That's what got mm-hmm. his attention. Right. This catches the eye of Agent Joe Shapiro, who's Danny DeVito, who helps get Andy's career on te- on track and gets him a lucrative new job on a TV show called Taxi. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman dislikes the sitcom life and takes a menial job as a dishwasher while appearing on this new TV show called Saturday Night Live. Okay. And then um, Andy Kaufman introduces Tony Shapiro. Sorry. Ha! George appeared to Tony Clifton, excuse me, who wants to get into a guest role on Taxi. Clifton is rude, arrogant, obnoxious, and is removed from the set. Shapiro learns that Clifton is Kaufman, as well as Andy's friend and comedy writer Bob Zamuda, who encourages Kaufman's antics, and Zamuda is played by Paul Giamatti. Yes. Kaufman then takes his uh, talents to the world of wrestling, where he becomes the intergender champion of the world, where he meets Lynn Margulis. Courtney Love, sorry, I can't pronounce that Margulies. name. Margulies. Margulies, excuse me. Who he falls for, as well as embarking on a memorable and violent feud with wrestling legend Jerry the King Lawler. Mm-hmm. After a match where Lawler injures Kaufman, he then assaults him on the David Letterman show, and is revealed. but it is revealed that Lawler and Kaufman are friends, working this program together as a combination of Kaufman's antics and wrestling secret society known as Kayfabe. Yes. In 1983, after Kaufman and Lynn move into a new house and the cancellation of Taxi, Kaufman discovers that he has cancer. But his friends and confidants don't believe him because he's Andy Kaufman, you know, and due to his pranking nature. This leads to him booking Carnegie Hall for a serious show and taking the audience for milk and cookies. And a final bid for his health, he hits the Philippines, only to realize he has been on the end of the, he's been on the end of the scam for once. And it finally accepts its fate. So one year after his death, at his funeral, after his funeral, excuse me, Tony Clifton appears on stage in a tribute to Kaufman. However, Bob Zmuda, who also plays Clifton in the same time as Andy, mm-hmm. appears in the audience cheering, hinting that Kaufman could have actually faked his death, which is the biggest rumor in the history of, well, of everything. Yes. And that's the thing. That's the key. That was the saddest part of the movie. Nobody believed that he was sick because yeah. he joked that he could fake his own death and, and get publicity for it. And, you know, it was it was... Really, really good acting at that point because Jim Carrey. Look, we can say what you want about Jim Carrey, but Jim Carrey is a fantastic actor. And one thing I've learned is that comedy actors always do serious comedy, serious acting. Excuse me, really, really well because of right. the comic timing, right? And they know when to turn it on, turn it off, and where the line is, and so on and so forth. And I think that you know, Jim Carrey embodied Andy Kaufman, or did he? Mm. Now this is the thing, right? Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. is a method actor yes. when it comes to his acting roles. Yes. Now, when he became Ace Ventura, he didn't walk around shadowing a pet detective talking right. about his ass all day. Right. But when it came to his serious acting roles... Like Truman Show. Truman Show until in 23, I think it was called. Yeah. You know, Cable Guy, he studied all aspects of the character and he tried to embody the spirit of Andy Kaufman. Now, he tried to embody the spirit of Andy Kaufman that he knew. Right. Um, this is the Andy Kaufman that a lot of people say that Bob's Madis tried to uh, foister off onto the world. Right. So when it came to the movie, right, Nick Cage was actually the favorite to be Andy Kaufman. That just does not sit well no, with me. I, I, not only that, but I don't think Nick Cage has got the range to do it. No. No, I mean, he's got the range. It just, it, it, it still, it, it doesn't. It doesn't um, sit. No, put, put the, the bunny, bunny back, back in the box. In the no, I mean, no, it just it no. just didn't work. But uh, Jim Carrey and Nicholas Cage were close friends up until this point because you know what he did. Hmm. Okay, dinner one night. They had dinner together, mm-hmm. and uh, Cage was talking about this opportunity to play Andy Kaufman, but he's got to go audition for it. 
And Jim Carrey basically said, you're Nick Cage. Why have you got to audition for anything? Mm-hmm. And Cage decided not to audition. It's only when he found out that Jim Carrey not only took his audition spot from him, but did things like he bought props of Andy Co- that Andy Kaufman used. Like the balls right. that Carrey used in his audition right. were used by Andy Kaufman. Now, Carrey was a big Kaufman fan, obviously, but like telling Nick Cage, you're Nick Cage, you don't need to audition. And then auditioning in his stead is kind of... It's kind of an It is kind of an And Jim Carrey is an asshole. Yeah. He is an He'll, he'll tell you he's an So when he, when he got the part, right, he started researching what he knew of Andy Kaufman. Now, from my understanding, is not much is known about Andy Kaufman aside from accounts from his friends. But the big amount of Kaufman narrative out there was put out there by his agent and his comedy writer, not Shapiro, uh, Zmedes, right? Who, the guy who did Tony Clifton mm-hmm. with him and everything like that. And kind of built this mythology of Andy Kaufman that was very, very, you know, what's the best way to say this? Every, every, life, is, every life is better if it's fictionalized. Right. I mean, Kaufman had a great life and a unique story, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the things that were put in this story, according to a lot of people, were fabricated. Fabricated. Well, I don't think so much fabricated so Uh, much as... Exaggerated. Yeah, embellished. I mean, Jim Carrey only wanted to be referred to as Andy on the set. Mm Mm-hmm. And he would act in the destructive, awkward manner that everybody thought Andy Kaufman was. Right. But the problem is... The Andy pe- wasn't that. No, everybody right. who worked with him said that P- Carrie's portrayal as the man on stage and in you know, portrayal of Andy Kaufman in the movie mm-hmm. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. But his offstage antics while trying to still be Andy weren't Andy Kaufman at all. They weren't Andy backstage. Yeah. I mean, okay. It's, okay. Jerry Lawler worked close with Andy Kaufman. Right. And for years and years kept up the appearance that he hated him with a passion and blah, blah, blah. And Andy had been dead for th- 30 years at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I hate him with a passion. I hate him. I couldn't be. I couldn't want him for we were cremated together, right? Right. Took Jim Carrey's handlers aside and said, what the hell is he, what the hell is he doing? Andy Kaufman treated me with utmost respect every time that we spoke, every time that we worked. Right. This is not the Andy Kaufman that we knew. Right. Um, Carrey responded to that by demanding that Lawler be fired. And then when Lola wasn't, spat in his face. Mm. Now, look, wrestling fans know Jerry Lola today as the puppies guy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they know him as the guy who does one-liners, the old creepy grandpa routine, everything like yeah, that. Yeah, but you still don't spit in the man's face. Well, That's this ridiculous. is 1990s Jerry Lola. Jerry Lola would still, still have still kick you Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, they carried on working together. And so when they recreated the, the famous bit on the Letterman show where, Lo- where Jerry Lawler slapped Andy Kaufman mm-hmm. when he were in a neck brace, Lawler didn't hold back. Oh, no, 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 no. He actually smacked him. Like, really, really hard. And at that point, I think Carrie knew... He done messed he, up. Not only did he done mess up, that they, they, in wrestling they call it a receipt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And apparently they, they've made up and they're actually friends now. And even, like, as a thank you for working with him, uh, Jim Carrey sent Jerry Lawler a whole bunch of rare vinyl of certain country stars that he knew Lawler liked. Oh, well, that's nice. Of so him. I mean, you know, once he got out of character, yeah, and he became Jim Carrey again, he got his head out of his ass. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Sam Simon, who was the producer of Taxi, mm-hmm. he felt that Jim Carrey's portrayal of Kaufman was again more along the lines of what Bob's Mooder had taught him as opposed to Kaufman himself. 
He said that the he said in 2013 that the movie was a complete fiction. Kaufman was a complete professional when working with him. Kaufman told everybody who would listen that he was Tony that he was Tony Clifton, but did say that Andy Kaufman would have loved Bob Zemuda's interpretation of his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's from somebody who knew him. So you have two people who know Andy Kaufman saying, "This isn't Andy Kaufman." But Andy would have approved. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. What's the best way? To, what's the best way to ask this? Does this mean that this portrayal mm-hmm. is more of a um, what people ideally would want Andy Kaufman to be like as opposed to what he was? Possibly. Uh, I think it falls within... Either way, however it boils down to it, it falls within the parameters of what Andy wanted public perception to be of himself. And on the one hand, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, it, well, because I mean, even uh, as you said with Sam Simon, um, this is Jim exasperated and elaborated on Andy's public persona, yeah, and stretched it to all facets of his life. But that public persona was already there. That public that public persona was already curated by Andy to begin with, and well, with Bob Zemuda's help, but it was still, I mean, Andy participated. So I do think along the lines that Andy probably would have approved um, simply because that's how he led himself to be perceived to begin with. Do you think if they portray... So let's just say, right, for, for and grins, right? Mm-hmm. The same Simon and Jerry Lawler are 100% correct. Right. right. That Andy Coffin was a total professional, shaking hands, kissing babies, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Well, I don't know think about all that because none, none of that cast of SNL was... The shaking hands, kissing no, no, babies you know, type. You know I mean. Right, you know I gotcha. I mean. okay, in terms of professionalism, mm-hmm. during shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. If they'd have played, if they'd have written this movie like that, would it have ruined Kaufman's reputation? No, no. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the so. Wild, he was such the wild, crazy, zany man of comedy was actually a delight to work with and shaking hands and everybody loved him. I don't think it. I mean, Kaufman is so beloved by those who love him. See, again, he's niche. But those who love him, love him. Andy was the type of person, the closest thing I could I could compare him to is he was the, the comedian version of Prince. Ooh. You either loved him or you hated him. Nice. That's, that's a really good analogy. I, and, I can understand that. Andy does not, you don't really have a mediocre opinion. At the very least, even if you don't have a strong opinion, you respect him. Yes. I, I agree with So, that. either, I mean, if you know who he is and you're familiar with his work, you either love him, hate him, or at the very least respect him. Yeah. Or you hate him and respect him. Because regardless if you don't care for his brand of comedy... He worked hard at He it. worked his ass off at it. He's, he's kind of like a magician, if, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes. You know, he was, for people wondering what the hell I'm talking about, magicians are magicians the minute they step out of their front door to the minute they step back. Right. Do at night. You know, right. They're always on. And I think that's one of the things that Kaufman was trying to do. He was always on. Right. Um, now, all of this that we're talking about with Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman was documented in a very, very, very hard to watch Netflix documentary. Yes. Uh, Colin, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where Jim Carrey talks about how he dis- he got into character and methoded it so hard that it mentally affected Carrey for a long time. Right. You know, um, 
And the only other point of this movie that, that was kind of criticized in the portrayal of Andy Kaufman was Kaufman's parents were a little upset that not much of... It was great talking about his career and his personality and the showbiz side of everything, but little was dedicated to who Andy was growing up, who Andy was as a child, as a young adult, before he got into the business. You know, it was more about Andy Kaufman the comedian rather than Andy Kaufman the person. Right. And I think that I think that's a fair, fair point. I mean, around right about this time... You know, we were watching uh, documentaries, uh, not documentaries, biographies like um, the Johnny Cash document. I keep saying documentary. Johnny Cash biography, the Ray Charles right. biography, you know, when we when we both started watching this movie. And it did have a lot of their childhood in there, or at least enough of their childhood to know why they right. the person they did. Right. And this didn't have that much of it. I think that's the only down point that I have on it. Mm. Um, another critic said, uh, it was Max Allen Collins said that the film does not give Kaufman credit for his genius, that he had a complete intellectual grasp of what he was doing and a showman's instinct to play to an audience. Right. Um, I think I think that's fair. You know, I think that it, it did seem... Jim Carrey embodied him, but it did seem like there was something missing from it. Well, yeah, but I mean, then again, you only have a certain amount of time. Well, that's true, too. I mean, there, Kaufman led a very full life. He did. And he, and, and and he pulled some... I mean, in order to be able to portray, to give the audience some sort of inkling as to the the mad genius that was him through his stunts, you know, as because the way that it was done, it didn't give so much the behind the scenes and the why. It exposed a new generation to Kaufman the way the previous generations had been exposed to Kaufman through the initial shock. Why is he doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, what? what is up? Well, that's just weird. You know, and so it, it... Do you think they should have stretched it out more? Because it was a short-ish movie, even for its time. It was just over... No, I like it how it is. So about 100 minutes is just enough to get in there without bogging down with too much of this? Yep. Who This is who Andy actually is, but here, look what he's doing anyway. Yep. Okay, that's, that seems fair. That's why I think, again, he would have approved with how it was laid out, because it's a very... It keeps the mystique. Yes, and that, and Andy fought for that. I mean, if Andy wanted the public to know what he was like backstage, he would have carried that persona on on stage. And other than the milk and cookies incident, you never saw that side of Andy publicly. Oh, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, but Andy Coffin was a stra- not a strange character, but a very, very intense character. Yes. And I mean, so intense that after Jim Carrey d- was done with the movie, it was tradition, if you were, if you had like a um, a music video associated with the, the, right. the thing that you do, because this is about the time where pop music had, where, where movies had like a pop music theme song. Right. You know? Um, for example, the Tomb Raider movies used the U2 track Elevation and they put like the edge in certain scenes in the movie. Yeah. And some some things had the actors show up to do something in the music video. Right. Jim Carrey wanted nothing to do with anything to do with this series. Yeah, he was, was done. done. Yeah, he was done. Not because he disowned it, but because he needed to mentally. Right, step he couldn't away. do it anymore. Um, moving on to timeline real quick. Mm-hmm. A lot of the events in this movie are correct, but they're, like, really, really out of sync to play to a narrative. Well, again, any time that you... I mean, yeah, you got to fix it. Any time you cinematize anything, it, it has to be... Because, I mean, a lot of the events played up, like, there was a lot of drama at the end of Andy's life, and it kind of wasn't like that. Okay. So, here, here's a movie lesson, guys. Um, movies have certain beats that they have to fulfill, Right. 
So there's, you know, you take however many, I mean, movie, if you look at a bunch of different movies um, side by side, they, at certain points in the movie, they depict certain things, you know, usually around minute 60, this happens or, you know, at minute uh, you know, ninety. This happens, yeah, or whatever. Right. C- scene one is set up. Scene two is tragedy. Scene right. Three is right. So things have to be done out of order in order to be able to tell the story, but to hit all of those beats. Yeah. So. And one of those things, for example, is the milk and cookie scene. Right. Um, he played Carnegie Hall, the 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 stage that he wanted to play at, and then took his fans out for milk and cookies. After his te- after his tragic diagnosis of bladder cancer, right? That's not what happened. Well, what happened? Well, the milk and cookie scene was actually at the height of his popularity mm. in seventy uh, nine. So this is like Saturday Night Live, Taxi, Crazy right. Andy Kaufman here. Right. Everyone out to mil- for milk and cookies, right? Um, the infamous scene where he's voted off Saturday Night Live. It wasn't done by Lorne Michaels who had already left Saturday Night Live at the point where this was done Andy Kaufman got on stage and Saturday Night said look if you want to keep me on dial this number if not dial this number ha ha and they voted him off mm-hmm. so it was like oh and the the intention was they were always going to bring him back right but in the story it was no they voted you off you could never go back this is heartbreaking for you right you know um, as we mentioned little of his childhood is um, shown in this movie I think they got some of the cast of Taxi wrong for the time period. Because I know Taxi had like one or two different iterations. Oh, no. The, the main cast that he was in. The thing about it is it's the test. The, ca- the test. The, the cast. Taxi. Yes, right. The cast of Taxi was done correctly. But you also have to remember that this was in the early stages of CGI. And they really had to. No, I'm dead serious. <laughs> no, no, they, had to, they had to de-age all of these people. And Christopher Lloyd looked terrible. And, um... Yeah, I think they only had so much budget okay. for that. I mean, that's fair enough. So let's go. Let's go on to the film itself for a minute. All right, hit it. Okay, this is not the first biopic we've covered on the '90s podcast, and it's not, also not the first one that was done by Milos Forman. Correct. Uh, he did previous uh, episode subject, "The People vs. Larry Flint." Yes, and brought a lot of those people involved with him. With him, including Miss Courtney Love. Yes. Now, believe it or not. In all the research that I could find, in all mm-hmm. the special interest stuff on IMDb mm-hmm. and Wikipedia, and in, in all all the Google articles I could find, very little is spoken about Courtney Love. Yeah? To the point, other than she was in this movie and she worked really hard. Yes, again, she kept her head down. Which, she, which is, which is, you know... Eyes dotted, T's crossed. It's slightly tragic when you think P's about it right now. P's honked? Humped. Humped, oh. <laughs> Not like that. Good lord! No, but I mean, which is kind of, which is really, really weird with all the baggage. It's a little she, out of out of character. Yeah, at but the not time. Only that, even with all the baggage that she had, to be completely upstaged by Jim Carrey. Oh, she knew what she was doing, and she worked well with Milos, and Milos could get that kind of performance out of her. And to be perfectly honest, People versus Larry Flint, she was the tragic character. Yeah, she was the one who was left behind, or she was the one who left someone behind. Yeah, and this. Is the other way around. And this is only five years after her husband's death. This yep. could not have been an easy role to play. No. It, it, I don't think it was, but at the same time, you could just tell in her eyes that she was enjoying herself. Yes. That she dug into the part. Okay, she was playing the girlfriend, which is not the, you know, right. the, the, the ideal role at the time. But I mean... Well, I mean, it was the only... It was the lead female role. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was still the girlfriend, if that makes sense. And she was still playing with... 
all that tragedy in her. Well, she's got all that tragedy. And then you also have to understand that with... They couldn't have been easy for her. I mean, how do you stay sober when Jim Carrey is is acting like Andy Kaufman and he's supposed to be your boyfriend? That's true. Like, that would have driven me <laughs> to, like, do something. <laughs> but, I mean, to, to be fair, you know, from all from what I read is that her, her and Jim Carrey got along. Oh, yeah. And um, Miles Foreman and Jim Carrey got along to the point where the studio wanted to fire him during production. Mm-hmm. And Carrey basically pulled the old Bruce Willis slide and said, well, who's your second choice for Andy Kaufman? Right. And at that point, everything carried on right. as normal. Right. You know, um, and I think that, that, that it worked because his directing style was to get the most out of everything using the most outrageous over-the-top things. Because we can go back to People Versus for a minute. Mm-hmm. And Harrelson's performance in there is really, really over-the-top. Right. I think he does really, really well at getting the, the, all the emotion out of over-the-top characters, or over-the-top subjects, so to speak. Because Larry Flint is a walk-in, uh, yeah. over-the-top machine, yeah. right? And Andy Kaufman's a comedy god based on his zany wackiness. Well, also, to touch base back on why it probably was easy for Courtney to identify with Carrie as Andy, and and not to diagnose posthumously, um, because that's a big no-no, but um, Andy exhibited some, um, if not autistic than Aspergerish traits. Especially this especially ending phone in this portrayal. In this portrayal. Some severely aspy yeah. autistic traits. And for those who do not know, Courtney has actually come out publicly and said that she's aspy. Yep. That explains a lot. And so And I don't say that in a negative way. No. So it's easier for her to sort of understand yeah. where and why. You know, like this comes from, I mean, our, our kiddo, we have yeah. a kiddo that's Aspie. And that's what and I meant you, by that explains Right. That. And when you get her around other kiddos who are Aspie, it's like they get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, you know, the the, 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 the sky is open, the birds are singing, and they're just adorably goofy together. Yeah, and they know, they know exactly what the other one is or cannot think. Right, you know. right. And they're all in the same little wavelength that the rest of us are just not privy to hooking on to, yeah. which I think sucks. I think the yeah. whole world should be able to tap into that every now and oh, then, because it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is okay, beautiful. sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, no, you ahead. went off on a beautiful tangent, because, you know, but, um... <laughs> <laughs> right? No, but, I mean, you know, she, she did a damn good job in this movie, and I think that, unfortunately, because of the antics of Jim Carrey... She didn't get as much, right? Even she played her role really, really well... She didn't get as much acclaim. Didn't she... I think she got nominated for like a supporting actress. I think she did. Not not necessarily at the Oscars, but in some of the other Golden Globes, wasn't Golden it? Globes, maybe or Out of the Baptist, Choice, maybe something. 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 She, she 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 got in there. You know, with all this research, I didn't write it down. Tisk 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 tisk. But um, now one of the things that also struck me is weird, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, we mentioned Christopher Lloyd's horrible CGI job, right? Mm-hmm. And how it was in the early stages. <laughs> And all that people stuff. really depended on more makeup than yeah I mean people did did need they needed all the makeup stuff that they could get and you know everybody who was in makeup they made themselves either look younger or look you know they, they used makeup techniques of the time of the 70s and 80s right. so it looked it looked authentic right everybody did that with the exception of 
Letterman. David Letterman. Letterman didn't care. Because Letterman, obviously, you know, was... Uh, he didn't care. No, he didn't care. He did not. <laughs> he didn't give. I mean... He was he, he allowed himself and his set to be used for the movie, and then beyond that, take him or leave him. That is how it is. And that's David Letterman for you, and I love him for it. And, and, and that's the only bit, I think, that took me out of the movie, because, like, Jerry Lawler grows beard back. Mm-hmm. You know, they did the CGI and everything else. They they never appeared cool with it. And there's David Letterman dressed up as 1999 David Letterman. Yeah. You know, with the glasses and everything. And it's like, uh, okay. He we, suffered that hair enough the first time, though. Can, can we at least get the, the 80s Letterman mic? No. No. I think at that point, you just recast Letterman as Conan O'Brien and you call it good. <laughs> right. <laughs> off you really want to Letterman off Jay Leno. Ooh. Um, ooh topical. All right. Um, one of the other things that angered people on the set, see, I mentioned Jerry Lawler a lot, but um, he got really, really offended while making this movie mm-hmm. by the directors and the producers. And, like, it kind of did something that I, I know about, and it's kind of helping me reinforce that bias. It's a lot of people see the South mm-hmm. as not what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, okay, people in the South, from my experience, have got a twang. Right. But in the cities in the South is no different from the cities in the North. Right. So when we're perceived as ignorant. Yeah. Yes. Really? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes. That's why um, people who are Southern who are in academic circles work really hard to lose their accent. Yeah. Because it's just we open our mouth and people assume. Everybody drops 50 IQ points. Right. But but in the cities, it's no different. You know, and and Jerry Lawler is one of the guys who who I, who I listen to on that because he's been around the world. In the sticks, it's no different. The sticks is no different. The sticks is no different. And there are highly intelligent people who live out in the boondocks. No, I, I get that, but yeah, but I mean, city perception. Everybody, okay. When I mean the country, right? People believe, people perceive the country in upstate New York. You know, the farmlands and the fields in there, right? Different to the city of New country York. bumpkins. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, but but if, but. South of a certain line, even the people in Mason the city, Dixon line. South of the Mason Dixon line, everybody is country bumpkin. Right. Even if they're in the major cities of right. And Jerry Lawler's been around the world, been in every major city you can think of. Right. Shows up to the Mid South Coliseum or whatever the Coliseum was where they did the wrestling mm-hmm. performance. And wrestling. everybody is in overalls and straw hats. Mm-hmm. And Lola takes one look at the producers and flips. Flips out. Because he said he's worked in this city for thirty years. And he has not seen one guy show up to a show in a straw hat. Mm. Didn't say anything about the overalls. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no, we like our liberties. But, I mean, he he had a point there. He did have a point. I mean, you know. Um, Stereotypical. When yeah. you watch a concert or a show or whatever, mm-hmm. once they announce where the show is and you're like two hours in and you've forgotten, you don't really know that some guy's in the south, north, you know, right. whatever. And he thought that it would definitely kill the lack of authenticity of the movie. Look, the only thing that they needed was guys in wrestling t-shirts. Um, which didn't, which went around in the 80s. Okay, so if we're 80s, mullets, mustaches, and the women big hair with purple eyeshadow. Leisure suits? No, no. not at a wrestling show. No. I mean, t-shirt and blue jeans T-shirt and blue jeans. T-shirt and blue jeans, but it would have been like, you know, for their favorite cigarette pack or their favorite... <laughs> I mean, yeah. The the the, the uh, t shirt you got at the bank when you opened up t shirt you got right. at the radio station when you opened up your bank account or something like that, you know. So yeah, I mean, I I can I can say that somebody who who you know who's come come down here and like 
It's only when the road goes from being four lanes to one lane and not necessarily paved all the way mm-hmm. do you get the stereotypical straw hat e-haw kind of thing. You right. Know? And and that's the same though in any state. In any country. Right. You know, I mean, one of my favorite movies is Hot Fuzz. So one of my favorite scenes in that movie is where you get Mr. Filch, right? Right. They go out to the country and they bring out the guy who can speak his language. And it's like, you know, uh, can you tell me what happened? <laughs> and then the other guy goes, he goes, oh, he saw some teens in the yard. <laughs> you know? Right. And it does get like that, but not in the cities. And it's not everyone. Right. You know, I've seen more, I've seen more well-dressed, smart, thoughtful, right. less ignorant, dumb people than the portrayal <laughs> of the South is. You know. I feel that. But um, but it's been 15 years. I might be blinking by now. I'm not, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> can I ask a question? Sure. If I showed up uh, wearing a suit stuffed with Limburger cheese, yes. how would you... <laughs> I would not want to sit next to you because Limburger cheese stinks. Well, apparently uh, Jim Carrey showed up. Every time he had to dress up as Tony Clifton, he would stuff his suit full of Limburger cheese. I'm not surprised. And... Ugh, ugh, ugh. big ill well but one of the things this movie talks about too I don't know why I threw that over there one of the big thing one thing it talks about too is the Hawks is Mm -hmm. the great Hawks that everybody believes that Andy Kaufman faked his own death right and the movie kind of leaves that up for interpretation right I don't think he did no I don't I don't think he did okay he would have had a third person play left in that line well not only that or have been a tribute artist or something. A tribute artist. But if Kaufman did fake his death, he wouldn't wait 35 years. Well, he people, did say it. Until some... people hardly knew who he was. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, he would, because that's a very Kaufman thing to do. But he did say that if he faked his death, he would be back on a certain day. And that day has long since passed. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and again... He exhibited um, like, like not to, I'm not a professional and no, not, no, no, no. To, not to di- you, diagnose someone posthumously or whatever. You were mother and brother, who, uh, so uh, you have experience. Uh, mother and, uh, mother and sister, sister of people. Yes, you know. my brother is autistic. But um, when when someone within that spectrum gives dates or, you know, <laughs> whatever, they're, they're, they're firm. Yeah. So. Uh, he would have been here. He'd have been here. And, and even then, I mean, even then, you didn't joke with, with cancer. Right, you know, you no. Because, like, imagine all the people going through the same stuff, saw him as a hero, and then, like, right. the families 20 years later see him come back. Right. Surprise! I just yeah. made fun of your family's yeah. hardship. You know, but, I mean, it, it, it again, it is the big question. Did Andy Kaufman fake his own death? Mm. And the fact that we're still talking about it... Is exactly what he wanted. Is what he would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's the joke. It's not... He faked his own death. He's coming back. It's the question in whether he did or not. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I still think you know he's he's working as a fry cook with a Tupac in in you know the Bahamas somewhere with Elvis as their regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, I think I think that it's a mystery that that will continue to, to and it's always the same when big celebrities die too. Right. Everybody assumes that it's a fake. It's a hoax. The only person I think that it could possibly be is Tupac. <laughs> and only because he okay here's the thing prince had been around and alive and making music for decades right 
and was notorious for having albums and albums and albums and albums worth of material in his vault, right? So even though he never wanted those released, they're being released yeah. because estates are what they are. Um, uh, but the fact of the matter is, though, is that we're going to have Prince material. I mean, our grandchildren are going to have newly uncovered Prince material, okay? <laughs> our grandchildren's children. Um Tupac had not been around that long. Not to say that he wasn't prolific, but he hadn't. Be, he, but he had. He it it was impossible for him to have recorded as much as been. That man's had like what ten albums, ten oh, brand new albums released and post. Nobody ever knows post death, <laughs> and I'm like, whew. Now Down I the say, ranch, shut me dead right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I say this in jest. I mean, of course, he is. Uh, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, no. but I mean, good night. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's somebody out there conspiracy theory, right? That has somehow warped their way into thinking mm-hmm. that Andy Kaufman is not only alive, but because Courtney Love was in this movie, Andy Kaufman oh, was the one who killed Kurt. I guarantee you, there's some uh... jackass out there who thinks that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, and R.E.M. did the soundtrack, and R.E.M. and, and uh, uh, Michael Slap and Kurt Cobain were quote-unquote lovers for a long time. Oh. Yeah. You're making my brain twitch. That's fine. And we'll talk about that part when we do the R.E.M. episode in a couple of weeks. Yes. But um, there won't be Sarah. It'll be great. But anyway, talking about R.E.M., uh, <laughs> they produced the original soundtrack. They basically right. pu- produced five original pieces of music. Right. Two new uh, singles. Mm-hmm. And basically eight different remixes of Man on the Moon. Right. One of their songs is one of my favorites. The one Great, of the song, Great Beyond is a fantastic song. I it love is. that song. So do I. I love the music video to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it... it people class it as an R.E.M. album. You know, R.E.M. fans. I don't really consider an R.E.M. album. No, neither do I. I mean, you can't consider an R.E.M. album because it's not an album. Right. It's a soundtrack. Right. You know. But um, and as we know, the movie is named after the hit song that it was inspired by, right? You know, because that's what uh, the guy who wrote it said. He said he was inspired by the REM song "Man on the Moon." So for them to do the soundtrack to it as well must have been like you know he was in Hog Heaven or whatever it was. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I love this movie. I really, really do. I think it's a solid nine out of ten movie. I'd give it a ten out of ten. I really give it like 10. it. It's mm-hmm. a perfect movie. Perfect for movie. You. Explain. Well, I mean, um. You know, you've given your reasons why it would be a 9 out of a 10 and why it would be missing that extra star. Just because, you know, you think that this wasn't focused enough on or that wasn't focused enough on. And I think that those things were. I think it it touched, it displayed the persona that Andy would have wanted. It displayed it. It's very rare that biopics are not only true to the person you know, good, bad, and ugly, yeah. but they also fall in line with what that person's wishes. And I think this sort of does both. And, um, you know, things involving death and sudden death and whatever, you know, those, those, those movies sort of hit really hard for me, especially dealing with cancer and this, that, and the other. So, um, I think it was, I, I think it was beautifully handled. And in the movie, you know, he does what he does. He tries the best that he can. And yes, everything's out of order, but um, it has to be out of order to make the movie. Just like when you make a movie off of a book, 
you're not going to have all your favorite scenes in it. So I I think for what it is for a movie biopic about someone's persona in life, I think that it just it it hits it out of the park. I think I think that scene in in the Philippines, I think it was where he went, where he he realizes that, oh, oh crap, I'm being scammed and the joke's on me for a change, which is how they wrote it. Yeah, that was very very cathartic. I think for not just the audience but the characters on screen themselves. Mm. You know, because they knew that this was it. Yeah, you know, um, I thought that you know because I mean I, I mentioned the Truman Show earlier and People versus Larry Flint, and I think those two movies had a heavy influence on how this movie is perceived and mm-hmm. acted on. I mean, Jim Carrey showed in the Truman Show that he could be a serious ranged actor, even mm-hmm. if it wasn't as rangy as, as his future performances. I mean, the scenes where he got happy, the scenes where he got angry, the scenes where he got emotional, they were all serious and you could kind of believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the People vs. Larry Flint, I think that um, Miles Foreman and Courtney Love laid a great foundation for it. Yep. And they did the same thing here. Yes. And you combine those two things together with a unique character concept and a unique story concept and you get this this movie. Um, the portrayals of everyone, they might have been just a little plain. Hmm. But everybody knew what their role was, and their role in this movie was basically make Jim Carrey's character look like a billion dollars. Oh, there you and, go. And it did. Um, you know, behind the scenes, in spite of all his problems, he nailed the part. And yes, I was a big Jim Carrey fan of the 90s. I right. did The Mask, I did Ace Ventura, I did everything. I thought he could do no wrong. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, it, it really, really worked. But because of all the stories that have come out in subsequent years, this has taken uh, a biopic and based on a true story to the limit I right. think of how you can use that phase right. but as you mentioned it's it's the truth and you would have wanted and everything which means that the half truths you don't know what's a half truth and what's a truth truth which again this is, is what Andy he, Kaufman it's in Andy show. Kaufman yeah left right and center so that's our uh, look at the man on the moon do you have anything else to add other than it's a great song no and a great movie no um, I would recommend uh, going and looking it up and watching it and watching the documentary on Netflix if you can sit through it because it is a little hard to watch. And I would recommend, if nothing else, streaming um, after you get done streaming this episode, yes. st- streaming The Great Beyond and Man on the Moon by R.E.M. because they are, they are fantastic songs and videos. So that's it. And of course, for other works by Miles Fullman, and other works by Jim Carrey, check out season three, where mm. we've got reviews of The Truman Show mm-hmm. and The People vs. Larry Flint. Yep. So go ahead and check out our thoughts on there, my thoughts on The Truman Show, our thoughts on yes. People vs. So we will be back here in a few minutes, and again, we'll be back.
And I do believe they put a man on the moon because the Earth is round, just mm-hmm. like the moon is. Um, so my guest at this time talking about the book. No, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, Sarah, it is fantastic to have you all once you. again. Thank you. will you. be joining us in two weeks, Tom. Yes. Talking about the black sheep of the Oasis family of albums. Yes. The great Be Here Now. Yes. Um, it's a little bit long. A little bit. Actually, in the woods of Noel Gallagher, it's not long enough. Mm. As he's playing the nine-minute version of All Around the World. Oh, the reprise. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. But we'll get more into that here in two yes. weeks' time. Uh, now, Sarah knows what's coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Because, as I mentioned, we're recording these a little bit out of order just to make sure we keep on time. Right. As every good uh, production house does. Yes. Not every good production house doesn't say say they've done that, but I'm telling you why. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to be joined by Greg Gregory. Yes. Greg is coming back, and we are going ahead to talk about 45. 45. Mm-hmm. That's full five. Yes. Of the most popular, right. either created or roster prominence animated shows in the 90s. Right. And me and Greg are going to put them in order. We're Ooh. going to rank them from great to, oh my God, what the hell. That sounds interesting. Everything from South Park, mm-hmm. Arthur, mm-hmm. Hey Arnold, The mm-hmm. Rugrats, The Powerpuff Girls, The Simpsons, Futurama, Beavis and Butthead, and everything you can think of in between of that. Everything I can think of. Yeah. What about Daria? Daria's in there too. Ooh, what 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 obscure thing? What about the critic? Critics in there too. <gasps> Ooh, you guys really did get everything. We did our research, and you've actually seen the end result. I have. And you looked at me when we, we I played I showed it to you, and you yes. were like what yeah there's, you there's certain the things of, i don't agree with but you don't know the reason why yet i know i'll have to, i'll why. have to i'll have to listen but um, i'll listen when you guys listen yeah so it's 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 controversial it is controversial because there's a couple of things i don't agree with but that's okay but not only that the weird part about it is me and greg were in universal agreement in everything wow that i didn't know no well i say universal agreement by our by your scale by our scale that we yeah. were judging everything yeah that we, should be interesting we were, to listen to we, we didn't have, we had no disagreements on it and hmm. anything that we didn't actually 100% see eye to eye on, we kind of... You agreed with where it we would agreed where we, come, we agreed whereabouts, which yeah. shocked me a little bit because you I know... You figured you were going to like duke it down. Yeah, because I know a couple of things that he's a big fan of that I'm not a fan of. Right. And actually he agreed with me because I can be objective about how, you know, how, how I see certain things. John cannot be objective. I can be objective. You know you can. Okay. What's one of my least favorite TV shows that I don't like? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm uh-huh. kidding. I'm kidding. See, I'm kidding. I can be objective. Uh-huh. Told you I could. Uh-huh. That here I am being objective. Right. <laughs> she has adjusted I, I, her glasses I, I, with her I, I, middle I, I, finger in my direction, everybody. Uh, he's number one. I am number one. So, we will be back next week, guys. If you are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, check out the Because Maybe Network. Look us up on YouTube, bmnetwork-youtube. That's where you will find sample episodes, episodes of this podcast, episodes of other podcasts that we do, like Extra Extra, and, of course, our video game walkthroughs, where by the time this comes out, we should either be knee-deep or finished with our Donkey Kong Country walkthrough. Don't know. Yay! I don't know. I just do know that, yeah, it's going to be fun. (laughs) Uh, If you guys are on good good social or good podcast networks, I should say, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and tune in. For, for all of our content, all of our audio content, download it straight to your phone, computer, or whatever it is that you use. Don't look us up on Google, however, because Google doesn't like us and we don't like Google. That's a lie. We do like Google. We do like Google. We just don't like Google Podcasts. We're the redheaded stepchild of Google. Yes. And considering I have a redheaded stepchild, I find that funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, I say we'd be needy in Donkey Kong. 
we gotta make sure that Mikhail's maybe intern does her internship. Uh, <laughs> She's gonna be knee deep in donkey poo. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> with all that in mind, guys, we'll be back next week to talk about Have animation. Have a great week, guys. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Bye. So what what that uh,